Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us as part of our worship service today. I hope that you'll receive a blessing from being part of it and maybe maybe share and have some conversations with others uh, that you, about today's topic. And that way you can benefit from some uh, collaboration and from some sharing and from fellowship. And I hope that's good for you. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word and look at today's story, we pray for your guidance, your Holy Spirit, to teach us what you'd have us to know, that we might... Um, be able to practice some things very well while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. Our current series could apply to any waiting period. While we in late, wait in the nine months for the arrival of that first child, maybe, while we wait to see if there will be any response from our zillionth application for that job, while we wait for Christmas to come, while we wait marking off days till it's time for our vacation, while we wait for the cookies to bake, mm, what a great smell. While, while we wait for the lab results, while we wait for our friend to speak to us again, while we wait wondering if there'll be any response to our email, and while we wait on intermediate, in, interminable hold, at waiting for some customer service desk, and we wonder if customer service at that organization might be oxymoronic. Of course, in our lives right now, we're waiting for a vaccine, for herd immunity, waiting for unrestricted access to life again. And it was COVID-19 and all the waiting it has and is demanding that was in our minds when we selected this series. This week, our nation will be waiting for results of the voting of our citizens. And regardless of the results, one side will be entering a new four-year waiting or for another chance for their side, four years to practice graciousness. Being part of a denomination that has Advent in its very name, with a heritage of going big on the second coming of Jesus, and yet still we wait. I know it's redundant from all the previous weeks in our series, but waiting isn't easy. When I'm headed to Atlanta to find myself somewhere in South Georgia sitting on I-75 like it's some crazy parking lot, I want a way around the waiting. I want my Google Maps to give me a, an alternate route, to an escape, an, a, just some way to have an alternative to just waiting. Right now, I think just about everybody wishes for an alternate route to waiting out COVID-19. So in this frustration and, and in the anticipation of more frustration and counting the votes on Tuesday night, and a couple of millenniums since Jesus said he was coming back soon, what is your attitude in the waiting? Feeling a little sorry for yourself, sort of dipping in your foot into the waters of self-pity? Have some feelings of anger been plaguing you, surprising you? Feelings hopeful or feeling hopeless? Have you asked yourself or someone else or maybe God, why me? We may be the cheeriest, most optimistic, upbeat, happy, peaceful, engaged person when life can be lived unrestricted. But what is our attitude when we're in some sort of captivity? 
When we find ourselves bound in some way, whether by economics or a COVID virus, whether by a traffic jam or a life-altering accident, what do we do when we can't do what we want to do? or go where we want to go, or be with whom we wish to be, or have what we want to have. Anne Graham Lotz questions, when God has allowed you to be in in some sort of exile, cut off from friends and family, that which is familiar, when he has denied you personal wealth, health, prosperity, happiness, what's your attitude? This is exactly where young Daniel found himself. Life may have not been perfect back home, Judah, but it was certainly a much freer life. He's been yanked from his homeland, marched hundreds of miles as a prisoner of Babylon, possibly made a eunuch, living with no hope of seeing family or homeland again. What will he do while he waits for the years of captivity to end? Or maybe just simply wait for his life to run its course? How will he cope? Where will he find an anchor for his life as captive? Should he just meld into the culture? Just just try and fit in? How will he be faithful to God? Where Where will he and how will he find solid ground upon which to stand? The story of Daniel has hardly begun, and we see that Daniel and his three friends have made some decisions already. These four boys were either from the royal family of Judah or certainly the sons of leading nobility, thrust into this new off-balance life of captivity. They're selected for special opportunity to be taught the language of Babylon. And as any immigrant knows, as the language of the homeland is lost, there's a sadness in its losing, that, that connection. At the same time, there's an increasing identity with the new place of the new language. For three years, three years, they will be steeped in Babylonian literature, steeped in Babylonian customs, enculturated into Babylon. Their their Hebrew names are changed to Babylonian names as part of the creating their new locus of identity. Their first real test is over their diet. The king assigned them a daily amount of food straight from his own table. And Daniel and his companions determined not to be defiled with a king's royal food and wine. Two problems were evident. First, it it wasn't kosher. And second, it had been offered to Babylonian idols. God had caused, it says in Scripture, the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. And he was worried about this idea of these four just eating vegetables and water rather than the best of everything from the king's table. He, he didn't want to lose his head over this issue. So if you know the story, you'll remember that there was this 10-day experiment. The others in the special three-year program would eat straight from the king's table, and Daniel and his three friends would have veggies and water, and then they'd do a comparison. It's amazing that just after just 10 days, Daniel and his three friends already were outshining the others. It's interesting in Scripture how time can be so compacted in some of these stories, because in chapter 1 of Daniel, we cover from the besiege of Jerusalem, prisoners taken to Babylon, almost a 1,700-mile hike, three years of education, and the king discovering that at the end of those three years, Daniel and his three friends were the 10 times better than all of their competition. Now, there's no, there's no reference about their prayer life during the history of this first chapter. 
But considering the rest of the book, undoubtedly regular daily prayer was part of their lives. The first time there is a record of Daniel and his friends' strong interest in prayer is when their lives are threatened because none of the dream interpreter uh, team can pull off not just interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but actually recalling the dream on his behalf. And after these young men find out that their lives are in danger, they buy a little time and they have a prayer meeting. And and that night, God of heaven revealed to Daniel the mystery in a vision. And now Daniel's praise of God seems to indicate that during the three years of training, of trying to eradicate loyalty and even trying to have them even remember the old country, being seriously enculturated, even having their names changed, it's evident that despite that, the waiting, in that waiting, they haven't uh, cashed in loyalty to God or of Israel. Daniel gets the vision and he praises God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This week on Tuesday, as votes are cast and counted, don't go crazy. You may feel like the opposing side is wishing you into captivity. You may feel things are out of control, just completely. Did did you hear what Daniel said about the Lord? He sets up kings and he deposes them. There's an amazing quotation from the book, The Ministry of Healing, and it says this, one of my dad's favorite quotes, above the distractions of the earth, God sits enthroned. All things are open to his divine survey, and from his great and calm eternity, he orders that which his providence sees best. We live in an amazing country with incredible opportunity. And and while we wait, whether for a vaccine or the second coming, we can't blame and we can we can choose to blame and point fingers and accuse, or we can trust our God, call on him to do great things in and through us, and we can be part of making his world a better place in this place. Daniel was in Babylon. Uh, He he manages to move from one regime to another and stay a counselor to the king. Daniel, originally a prisoner of war, the advisor of Nebuchadnezzar, interpreter of the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar, and when the kingdom is invaded that very night by Darius the Mede, Daniel is retained as an advisor. As the new ruler, Darius appoints 120 satraps to rule through the kingdom with three administrators over them. And one of those three was Daniel. And Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps that Darius uh, had planned there. To, and he done such a good job that Darius planned to set him up over the whole kingdom. So this, things haven't really changed much over the centuries. So the, the other administrators and satraps went after Daniel. They started digging for some grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy and industrious. 
They realized the only way to get at Daniel would be through religion or religious practice. And so they laid the trap. They flatter King Darius and get him to to make a ruling that only the king, only the king can be worshipped for the next 30 days. Anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days other than the king will be thrown into the lion's den. When Daniel heard this decree, he snuck off into the woods where he could pray. No, that's not what he did. He, he went home, and just like the day before, at the appointed hour, he prayed on his knees at his window, open window, facing Jerusalem, just as he always did. He, he knew about the edict. He was politically savvy enough to know what, what they were up to. He didn't alter his plans until he could be sure of safety. What we learn from Daniel to do while we wait is to pray. But, but it's not just like memorize Lord's Prayer or a nighttime prayer with kids. It's, it's more than a quick blessing over food that we're about to eat. What marked Daniel's prayer was his commitment to pray. According to Pew Forum's most recent research, 76% of Americans pray, and 55% pray every day. What I believe Daniel is calling us to by his example, what, what he's calling us to do while we wait, is to make a commitment to pray. Apparently, Daniel's uh, happened like clockwork. It wasn't something he might get to when his, when his life was being threatened, his very life being threatened over praying, you know, the lion's den. It isn't something he's going to skip that day. What, what might change? What, what could change if, if we would, while we wait, we would just really consider having a commitment to praying? What would change in us? What would change in our families with our friends, with with the world in general, I can tell you we would change. Richard Foster writes, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue, the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. Jesus knew something fundamental about humanity. He challenges us to pray for those who persecute us. Those who give us a hard time, make our lives a living hell. When we commit to pray once, twice, three times a day for those who are against us, we are transformed by our own praying. Prayer is simply our conversation with God. And don't you know that's how friendships are formed and molded and strengthened through shared conversation? Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Not that it's necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive him. Prayer doesn't bring God down to us, but brings us up to him. Just like we all know how to open our our heart to a friend, we can all pray. Maybe the context of while we wait, we could go beyond random moments of prayer. Sure, It includes those, hopefully increases them, those random moments of prayer. But when we talk about the kind of prayer life of Daniel, we're thinking about a set practice. There's a difference from a casual conversation where we open our heart to a friend and a set appointment with a friend who has agreed to be our mentor, our coach, our accountability partner. It's the difference of random and planned. 
And, and while any and all prayer is a great practice, I hope we will see and hear and learn from Daniel's practice to become very, very intentional and concrete in our planned times of prayer. That night in the lion's den, while he waited for the morning to come, I imagine that Daniel was thankful for his disciplined practice of talking with God that had prepared him for this moment of crisis. If this is something you want to do while you wait, here's a couple of hints. I encourage you to prepare a place where you pray. Get any supplies that might help in that in that prayer time. A comfortable seat, but not a sleeping chair. <laughs> a, a notebook, a journal, a piece of paper, a computer, however you best compose for writing some of your prayers out and taking notes on what you hear as you listen. Maybe have something to drink close by and keep a prayer list so you can notice God's answers to your prayers. Secondly, set a time. I love the morning. I think there are good models in Scripture for morning prayer time. And Miss A. Weatherall Johnson, who started Bible Study Fellowship, said, when our prayer time is at night, it's like tuning our violin when the symphony is over. <laughs> well, morning may be perfect for some of you, and for others, it, it has to be morning only, uh, or it won't ever happen. Listen, just choose a time so that it will happen for you. Do it plan it when you have the best chance of follow-through. Number three, be serious about your commitment. As serious as you would be if you had made an appointment with the greatest person you can imagine on our earth right now. Your appointment exceeds that by light years because this mentor, this friend, this accountability partner isn't just anybody. Rather, you're going to have an audience with the holy, almighty God of the universe. So show up. You can talk casually throughout the day. You can pray for every person you see. You can send a prayer up and ask the Spirit to work in their lives. You can seek God's will and intervention in their life. But don't skip the sit-down and talk business with God time. Nobody gets seriously physically fit haphazardly. Rather, when there is intention and discipline and repetitive history, things change. So from Daniel, we are reminded of what we can do while we wait. We can pray. While we wait, will you, will you not just pray, but will you, like Daniel, commit to pray? Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church in our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church. Church slash podcast. 
and plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.